title of my message tonight is Serve One Another in Love. I want to say that Pastor stole my sermon on Sunday because if you recall, he wasn't supposed to preach on Sunday. His father was supposed to preach and he decided that he was going to preach my message on Sunday morning. But I'm going to preach it anyway because this is the week of our ministry fair and since Pastor called us to serve... And it wasn't really the pastor, it was the Holy Spirit, it was God who was called us to serve, and that's exactly what I want to talk to you about this evening, a little different than he did, but I want to talk to you about servanthood. My title is based on Galatians 5.13, where Paul and the Holy Ghost call us to serve one another in love, to serve one another selflessly and sacrificially. To serve one another willingly and joyfully, and even though that's sometimes difficult and hard for us to do, it's exactly what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. Amen? It's exactly how the early church was built, and in my opinion, it's the only way that today's church will survive, because in a world filled with arrogance and ego and selfish ambition... The only way to tip the scales, the only way for us to make a difference in a self-centered society, the only way for us to be set apart is for us to serve one another in love, church. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this evening, how we might make a difference in someone else's life and how we might impact the kingdom of God. The reality is, if anyone had the right to call us to serve... It would be the Apostle Paul, who on every occasion he could referred to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In almost all of the letters that he wrote, he, he introduced the writer and he introduced himself by saying, I, a bondservant of Christ. He was not a bondservant because he had to. He was a bondservant because he wanted to. Because that's what a bondservant is. If you know what a bondservant is, a bondservant is one who was set free by his master and of his own free will and of his own choosing because of his love for his master. He chose to be a lifelong bondservant. And what that individual would do is that he would go to the doorpost of his master's house and he would place his ear upon the doorpost and the master would take an awl and he would drive through his ear and leave a piece of his flesh in the doorpost as a demonstration of his self-will and, and willingness to become a bondservant of, of that master. And, and that's what Paul was, church. That's what he meant when he said, I am a bondservant of Christ. And that's what we all need to be as well, church. God calls us all to be servants of God, first of all, but then he calls us to be servants of one another. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. And I laid that foundation just to give you a better insight as to what it means to be a servant, what it means to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a servant of one another as well. But before we even get into the word one more time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know I'm short on time, but I pray that the Lord just multiply our moments so that we can get the truths that we need. Father God, I thank you again for the fact that you are in this place, God. And when you're in this place, God, we can find everything that we need. And I pray that we would receive that tonight, God. I pray that your anointing would rest upon me as I always need That you would touch my mind, my body, my spirit. God, you know that I've got some little allergy junk going on and a dry throat. But I pray and believe that you're going to touch it and let me get through. 
And I pray that you would give your people, Father God, the same anointing, the anointing to hear and receive, Father God, your words with gladness. Challenge us, stir us, move us, transform us tonight, I pray, by your spirit and by your word. And all of God's people said, Amen. As we already read, or as I've already said, the title of my message tonight comes from Galatians 5.13, where the Holy Spirit and Paul says, Serve one another in love. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And according to Paul's teaching here, I believe we can say that we are to serve our neighbor as ourselves, to serve one another as ourselves. And in order to understand, in my opinion, the depth and the breadth and the width of of this call, we have to remember that love is central to service. Because without love, our service will always be empty. Without love, our service will always be meaningless. Without love, our service will always be powerless and will not affect those around us. Without love, church, which is patient. Without love, which is kind. Without love, which is not jealous. Without love, which does not brag and does not boast and is not arrogant. Without love, which is, does not act unbecomingly towards others. Without love, which the Bible says does not seek its own, our service will always lack. It will always be empty of these things that I just talked about. And it's not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit ties those two words together, service and love. Because without love, you can't serve the way you're supposed to serve. And without service, love cannot be demonstrated. So I believe with all of my heart, when he calls us to serve one another in love, we can mix those two words together. For all of the laws fulfilled, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall serve your neighbor as yourself. And that's what I want to look at this evening, serving one another in love. Please understand what the Holy Spirit is teaching us about service and love is that they are co-equal in this verse, church. Because if we are to serve one another in love, then service like love must be patient and it must be kind. Amen. The reality is if service is to be built on love, then service or our service should never be jealous. It should never brag and it should never boast about what it's accomplished and what it's done. Amen. The reality is, if service like love, if service is like love, then it should not seek its own well-being, but the well-being of others instead. Because service, like the love Scripture speaks about, isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about our neighbor. It's about the one beside us. It's about the stranger. It's about our coworker. It's about our family. It's about our friends. It's about the people that we come in contact with. If love is like service, then service and love aren't about us. Amen, church? It's about those that are around us. The individuals that the Lord allows us to come into contact with. What you and I need to understand is that every individual that you come in contact with every single day is not by accident and not a coincidence. It has been ordered by the Lord and you and I are to demonstrate our love to those individuals that we come in contact with. Why? So that they can see the kingdom of God. So that they can come closer to Jesus Christ, church. The reality is... This is what Paul is talking about. And it's exactly why he said, serve one another with love or in love. Because without the spirit of selflessness, 
Without the spirit of humility, without the spirit of self-sacrifice, service, true service, Christian service will never happen. Remember, Philippians 2.5 tells us that every Christian should have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, whom even though He came in the form of God, He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, the Bible says. He poured Himself out, you might say. The Bible tells us in the same verse that Jesus made Himself nothing by taking on the form of a, what? Servant. And he counted others more important than himself. And the truth is, every born-again believer has been called to do the same exact thing. To consider others more important than themselves. To humble ourselves and take on the form of a servant just like Jesus Christ did. Amen? To have the heart of a servant and to serve one another in love. To serve our neighbor as we might serve ourselves. Just like Christ served us and gave himself for us in love. If anyone ever gave of themselves, it was Jesus Christ. If anyone ever poured themselves out and emptied themselves for someone else, it was Jesus Christ. Amen. And he has called us to do the same. When Jesus and Paul spoke of a servant or of service or servanthood, they most often used the Greek word diokonia or doulos, which means this disposal for use. It means to be put at someone else's complete disposal. It means you're willing to be used up. It means, here am I, God, use me, or here am I, God, send me. And that's what the heart and the attitude of a true servant is, church. It pours itself out like Jesus Christ did on Golgotha's hill, and it empties itself for someone else. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, and I want to teach you tonight. So whether I get preachy, I don't care. I want to teach you some truths tonight. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, when Paul sensed that the end of his ministry was near, that it was coming to a close, he said, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is, is near. And he said, that's when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, what Paul was saying is I poured myself out over my life. I emptied myself. I, I poured myself out. I held nothing back. There's nothing left in this vessel. I have finished the race. There's nothing left. And the reality is, listen, that's what we should be able to say at the end of our life and at the end of our spiritual journey. When we stand before the Lord, we should be able to say, I too poured myself out. I left nothing inside of me. I emptied myself and I poured myself out. I, I, I was used up for and by the kingdom of God. Listen, that's why God saved us. So he might use us, church. And the only way He can use us is if we're willing to pour ourselves out and empty ourselves. What I want you to see in this passage is that Paul compared his service, his, his act of service to the kingdom of God and God and the people of God to wine being poured out on, uh, of a vessel onto an altar, just like a drink offering. Because that's what service means. And that's what servants do. They empty themselves, church. They empty themselves on the altar of God and they say, here I am, God, use me. They pour out their will and they pour out their plan and they pour out themselves and they pour themselves out until they are empty of themselves. And they say, here I am, God, now use me. 
And they pour themselves out for others. You see, it was no coincidence the pastor came up here and he prayed this prayer for that church down the road or up the road or whatever you want to call it, because he made the decision that South Metro is going to pour out on that on that church, pour out on that family as best as we can, because that's what servants do. That's what Jesus Christ did, and that's what he's called us to do, to not be about ourselves, but to be about the father's business, which is being about other people's lives. To help meet the needs of those that are around us, church. To give you a better understanding of Paul's comparison to a drink offering. Give you a deeper insight into the scripture that we just read. You have to first look at the first recorded occurrence of a drink offering that was given by Jacob in Genesis 35.14. When right after God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, he built an altar and he made a drink offering to God. He gathered up some stones that were there that were probably an altar that had fallen down at one occasion, but he put up some stones and he poured wine and water upon the rock. And at that moment, he consecrated himself to God. He set him apart for God's service and said, here I am, God, send me here. I am, God, use me. And this is what it's all about, church. It's all about putting ourselves on the altar of God and pouring ourselves out, emptying ourselves for Him, for His will and His ways in our life. And in the same way, just like what happened with Jacob, when we come from darkness to light, like he did, when we come from being lost to being found, when we come from being a sinner to a saint, when we come from being guilty to innocent through the blood of Jesus Christ, when our name is changed from schemer to Israel, which means God prevails, the first thing we should be willing to do is build an altar and pour ourselves out to God. When He brings us and changes our name from schemer, because listen to me, without Jesus Christ, you're nothing but a schemer. Without Jesus Christ, I'm nothing but a schemer. I'm always maneuvering for me, myself, and I. I'm always trying to figure out what's best for me. That's what happens without Jesus Christ. When we operate in the flesh, we're nothing but a schemer. And God has to bring us to a place where He changes our name like He changed Jacob's. He does something in our life, and when He does, He changes our heart. And when He changes our heart, and He changes our destiny, and He changes our name, the first thing we should be willing to do is build an altar and bend a knee and pour ourselves out for God. Empty ourselves and say, God, here I am. Use me. Here I am, God. Help me to make a difference. You see, and I'm not just talking about between us and God. I'm talking about being a servant to your neighbor as well. Because the only way we advance the kingdom, and I'll look at it in the brief time that I have as well, the only way we please God is by becoming a servant, church. It's what Christ did, and it's what exalted Him. If Christ wouldn't have become a servant, if He wouldn't have come off His throne, taken off His crown, put down His scepter, and stepped off of heaven's perch onto onto earth's doorstep, if He would not have became flesh and taken on the form of a servant, guess where we'd be? And guess what our destiny would be? It'd be hell. 
It'd be wrath and judgment and destruction, church. And since we have been called to be just like Jesus Christ, listen to me, somewhere along the way, you've got to come off your throne. Somewhere in your life, you've got to take off your own crown and you've got to lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ. You've got to empty your will and say, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the heart of a servant. That's the cry of a servant. Not to be all up in lights, but to be least of them all. And the only way you can help someone, the only way you can reach out to someone and make a difference in someone's life is if you are willing to become a servant. Listen, I know in today's society, boy, that's a word nobody, we don't want to hear about that because in today's society, you know as well as I do, it's all about me, myself, and I. And I don't care who I got to step on to stay on my throne. I don't care who I got to run over to stay on my throne. Just like Herod, he killed every little baby so he could stay on his throne. And sometimes we're just like Herod. We don't know it, but we're just like him. We step on his word and step on his will and step on his ways and step on his statutes just so we can stay on our throne and do what's right in our own eyes so we can walk in our own ways, church. That's not the heart of a servant. The heart of the servant is willing to lay down its life on an altar and pour themselves out the, the, the blood and the water, the wine and the water. This is what God expects from us, church, if we're going to call ourselves a servant. Amen. It's what, this is what happened in Genesis thirty-five, fourteen, And in the same way, we have to do that. When God prevails, please get this. There's a couple things I want you to get. If you get that, get this. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means God prevails or God prevailed. And in our life, please understand, when you came from darkness to light, God prevailed. When you got born again, God prevailed. He prevailed over sin. He prevailed over death. He prevailed over the grave. He prevailed over the darkness. He prevailed over the devil, church. And when God prevails in your life, whether it's for salvation or any other thing that He does for you, but especially salvation, when God prevails in your life and overcomes sin and darkness in your life, we should fall to our knees, church, and we should pour ourselves out like a drink offering. That's what's holy and acceptable. That's what's pleasing to the Father when we pour ourselves out and empty ourselves. God's not looking for big shots in the house of God. He's looking for servants, church. He's not looking for show-offs. He's looking for servants, church. That's what God needs. That's what the kingdom of God needs. When He prevails over sin and death in our life, it's the least that we can do. Amen? To empty ourselves. And that's what service is all about. Of pouring ourselves out for God and for others. Amen? It's what Romans 12.1 means when it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren. Pastor preached this on Sunday. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And again, he said what I was going to say. Whenever you read therefore, you've got to read what it's there for. And like he said, it's all the 11 chapters before it. But he said, therefore, because I have, in simple terms, therefore, because I have prevailed over sin, because I have made a way where there was no way, 
Because I have brought you out of darkness into your glorious light, into my glorious light, because I've taken you out of the pit, taken you out of the, because I have prevailed in your life. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It means because of what you did for me, Christ. I will do the same for you because you poured yourself out for me. I will pour myself out for you because you emptied yourself for me. I will empty myself for you. When's the last time we said that? When's the last time we demonstrated that? When's the last time I, Pastor Jeff Merriman, did that? Because of what you've done for me, Jesus, I'm pouring myself out. Yes, I've got this plan, and yes, I've got that plan, and yes, I'd love to accomplish this, and yes, I'd love to accomplish that. Yes, I've got these dreams, and yes, I've got these desires, but not my will, but thy will be done. That's what it means to be a servant. That's what it means to pour yourself out on the altar of God. That's what it means to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Because he prevailed and poured himself out, I will pour myself out as well. Amen? Amen. Sad reality is, however, and I include myself in this sometimes. I've been here myself, church. I'm not preaching down on you. It might not be any of you. But the sad reality is the family of God and the house of God is filled with individuals who are still full of themselves. House of God and the family of God is filled with individuals that are still full of the flesh, still full of ego, still full of arrogance, still full of pride, still full of stubbornness, church. And the work of God can't be done. And the kingdom of God suffers because of it, church. We're full of ourselves instead of full of the spirit and full of God themselves. Individuals who have yet to pour themselves out to God Yet to pour themselves out for others. Yet to empty themselves on an altar. Yet to put themselves at God's complete disposal, church. They've yet to decrease so that God can increase in their lives. They've yet to serve one another in love. See, I always find it interesting that when God changed Saul's name to Paul, study this stuff sometimes. When someone's name was changed, there's always a mighty reason behind it. Because you know what? God wants to change your name. God wants to change your life. God wants to change your situation. God wants to change your destiny. God wants to change who you are. And, and the better we understand what happened when someone else's life was changed, the better we understand how it applies to us and how we should respond and how we should look to what God wants to do with us. But in Saul's case, I always find it interesting That when God changed Saul's name to Paul, he changed his name to little. And that's what Paul means. It means little. Why in the world would God change Paul's name to little? Why couldn't it be Peter the Rock, upon whom I'll build my church? Why would he change it to little? Because the Bible tells me, And Paul told me, and Jesus tells me, that in order to become great in the kingdom, you have to become little. 
You see, Paul was big in the eyes, Saul was big in the eyes of man. Saul was a big shot in the eyes of Rome, but he was nothing in the kingdom of God. And in order for Paul or Saul to go from being great in this world, great in Rome. Listen, we got a lot of big shots in this world, church. Sin in the house of God, big shots in this world, but they're nothing in the kingdom of God. And the reason, listen, the reason that God changed Saul's name to Paul was because Paul was going to become the, the number one, he was going to be the number one spokesperson for the kingdom of God and for Jesus Christ. He would write most of the New Testament scriptures. And in order for him to accomplish God's will in his life, he had to become little. Had to become small. Listen, there's some of you here tonight. I've been there. Some of you might be here tonight, and God's trying to make you small. I want to be this. But God's trying to make you small. I've been there. God's made me small sometimes. And listen, I'm I'm just going to tell you this. I wouldn't be here right now if God had not made me small. God would not have brought me to this place and anointed me and given me the word and 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 given me his favor. I'm not bragging on me at all. I'm just saying I've been there. I've been made small sometimes in my life because sometimes it's too much about Jeff. Sometimes it's too much about me or myself or I. Sometimes it's too much about my feelings and my desires and my wills. And God has to come in and make you small. So listen, don't struggle against God when he's making you small. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up, church. You have to become the least of them like Paul did and like Christ did. You have to become servant of all if you want to be great in the kingdom. Please understand, servants are what God is looking for, church. And they're the only ones that are going to be rewarded according to Scripture. Because in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus himself said, On that day when we stand before him, he'll make two comments. He will either say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Or he will say, Well done, thy good and faithful, what? Servant. He's not going to stand up there and say, You come walking up, Well done, you good and faithful prophet. Well done, you good and faithful preacher. Well done, thy good and faithful churchgoer. Nothing wrong with those things, but that's not what he's going to say. He's not going to say, well done, you good and whatever. He's, he will say, well done, thy good and faithful what? Servant. Enter into the rest that has been prepared for you. You see, the only ones that are going to get the rest... The only ones that are going to get the reward, the only ones that are going to get the prize, the only one that's going to get the crown of glory, please get this, are the ones that put down their crown first. The ones that put down their robe and their scepter and their crown and stepped off their throne, they will be the only ones that will be exalted to a place of honor, just like Jesus was. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you and I need to learn to be servant of all. If you want to wear a crown in glory, you better take yours off and put it at the feet of Jesus Christ. God's not impressed with your crowns or my crowns. He's impressed with the servants. Listen, the house of God has enough prophets and enough evangelists and enough preachers and enough priests and enough whatever you want to call them. There's enough of them to go around. God needs some servants. 
Servants that are willing to serve one another in love. Please get this. Please understand what God is looking for. I know sometimes Jesus would always, when, when he spoke to the disciples, he always turned their theology upside down. Because the theology that they were accustomed to, coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, it was completely upside down. You know what the Pharisees were all about? Woo! They were all about their adornment. They were always about the, 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 their, their robe and their colors and their badges and their jewels. They were always about me, myself, and I. And Jesus would always turn it upside down and say, look, that's not what I want you to be like. I want you to be a servant. What did Jesus do to demonstrate his servanthood? He washed all of their feet. He became a servant. Because that's what the kingdom of God needs. It needs servants that are willing to do what no one else will do. He doesn't want big shots. He wants little shots. He wants little individuals that are willing to do big things for God. You know, the only individual... Listen, please grasp this. The smaller you are, the bigger the task God will give you. The smaller you allow, to, allow yourself to become, the greater things will be accomplished through you. The more you decrease, the Bible says, the more you decrease, the more He increases. That's what servanthood is all about, church. It's about us decreasing and pouring ourselves out and emptying ourselves so that He can increase in our lives. If I'm full of me, myself, and I, how can I be full of the Spirit? If I'm full of me, myself, and I, how can I be full of the anointing? If I'm all about me, myself, and I, how can I be full of the kingdom of God? If I'm full of me, myself, and I, how is anyone out there going to see, hear, or touch Jesus Christ? I must empty myself. I must decrease. I must pour myself out. I must be the drink offering like Jesus Christ. Do you grasp this, church? This is what Jesus is asking of us. It's the only thing that will make a difference in today's society, like I said at the beginning of the message. It's the only thing that will tip the scales. Servants are the only thing that will tip the scales in God's favor on this earth right now. In our society, especially in America. We need servants, church. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. One of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is when is the last time we poured ourselves out? When's the last time we cried, not my will, but thy will be done? When's the last time we emptied ourselves for our spouse or for our kids or for a family or for a friend or for our neighbor church? When's the last time we poured ourselves out for our coworkers or those that we come into contact with each and every day? When's the last time we poured out our pride so that God's will could be done in our life, church? When's the last time we made ourselves little for someone else? So that God could be made bigger instead. You see, when you make yourself little, God gets big. And when God gets big, it changes somebody's life. It has an impact on their life. Amen? I don't want you to see me when I'm up here. I know I get all animated, and I know Pastor does too. But our prayer is that you not see us. That you see what the Holy Spirit wants you to see. And that you, you hear what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. That you see the kingdom and hear the kingdom coming forth from this pulpit so that you can be a reflection of the kingdom. Because that's what service is all about, church, making ourselves little for someone else. 
In Matthew 41, start winding this down. Jesus shares words with his followers. These words that I'm going to read with his followers. And he outlines what a true servant is, what servanthood is all about. He expounds on the meaning of service and considering others more important than himself when he says, And if anyone compels you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who asks from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For if you love or I'm going to say serve only those who love or I'm going to say serve you, what reward do you have? And what that reminds us, church, is that the reward only goes to the servant who did well. There's only a certain amount of individuals or a certain type of individual, according to this passage of Scripture, that's going to find a reward, that's going to wear a crown, that's going to receive the prize, church. And it's the one who emptied themselves. It's the one who made themselves nothing for God and for others as well, church, for all of those around them, to the ones who served one another in love. Those who went the extra mile, like the Word of God is talking about right here. Look at what it says. According to this passage, there is no reward in the single mile. There's no reward in doing as little as we can for God or as little as we can for others. The single mile is the least that we can do. The single mile, according to Jesus in this teaching, which I'll expound on in a second, that's the expected mile. That's the, the compulsory mile. That's the the, the routine mile, it's, the, it's Sunday morning, so I've got to go to church mile. That's what the first mile is. But Jesus said, if you're asked to go one mile, go two. You see, that's the husband who's asked to go to church on Sunday morning that don't ever want to go to church. You see, the first mile is just getting there. The second mile for that man would be to stay after Meet with some people, chat with some people, talk with some people, maybe come to the altar. That's the extra mile, amen? It's not the, oh, I got to go to church. That's the compulsory mile. I got to go mile. And a lot of us have lived there, amen? We've lived in that first mile. But Jesus said, go the extra mile. And if you know anything about this passage, here's where I'll wind down. If we got some music, we can have it. If you know anything about this passage, you know that a Roman soldier had the authority at any time, anywhere, any place to demand that a Hebrew would carry their load one mile. As a Roman soldier was walking down the road, by law, he could find anyone, Hebrew especially, and say, carry my bag, carry my shield, carry my burden, carry my load, carry my cloak, carry my helmet, carry my whatever, carry my sword. And they would have to drop what they were doing, And they would have to carry that Roman soldier's load for one mile. It was the law. It was the compulsory mile. It was the, I have to do this mile. Sad reality is that's where a lot of us live in our Christian life. I have to do this. I have to give. I have to sing. I have to come to church. I have to, you know, work in the nursery. I have to. It's the compulsory mile. And so this this Roman soldier by law could command anyone. It it didn't matter what their plans were. Didn't matter if Pastor Darrell had a date with his wife. Didn't matter if he was off to pick up some flowers. Didn't matter if he had some urgent business to take care of. Didn't matter if he was selling a piece of property. Didn't matter what his plans were. Didn't matter what, what was going on in his life. He had to lay it down and he had to walk a mile 
with the soldier. After a mile, the soldier no longer had a hold on the other individual. By law, that individual could drop the sword, drop the bag, drop the burden, go off and do their thing. After one mile, they were freed from the law. And they could go and do whatever they wanted to do. Pick up their own stuff, go walk in their own ways, do what was right in their own eyes. They could wander off. But Jesus said, if someone compels you to go one mile, I want you to go two miles. And here's what you need to understand, because this is the most important lesson that we're going to learn tonight. In the first mile, there's no surrender. In the first mile, there's no sacrifice. The first mile, the people do the least that they can do, and they usually do it grumbling and complaining. You see, I wonder how many times when I read this that maybe one of those passerbys that had to carry the shield and carry the sword was thinking in their heart, ah. You see what I'm saying? Got a sword in my hand. I got a soldier right here. And I don't want to be doing this. And I wonder how many times that thought, you know, of vengeance came up in their mind. But Jesus said, go the extra mile. Because in the first mile, we can usually travel it with a bad attitude. The first mile is usually filled with selfishness and stubbornness. But the second mile becomes selfless. The second mile requires sacrifice. The second mile is where it becomes all about someone else and not about me. The second mile is where it's all about God's agenda and not my own agenda. And that's what the ministry of service is all about, church. Remember, it's about others and it's not about us. It's about being at someone else's complete disposal, church, willing to be used up, willing to be poured out. Willing to be emptied on an altar of sacrifice for someone else instead of me. You see, Jesus said, go the extra mile because the second mile is where we begin to look like Jesus. The second mile is where the kingdom of God begins to be revealed. The second mile is where we tip the scales. The second mile is where we're set apart from the rest of the crowd, church. It's the... It's the place where we decrease so that He might increase in our lives. It's where we become little and great at the same exact time. And I know that might sound like an oxymoron, but in the second mile, church, whenever you and I are willing to step into that second mile, it's where we become little and great at the same exact time. That can't happen in the natural, church. That can only happen in the supernatural, that, that, that kind of mindset can only happen in the kingdom of God. And when we follow the government of God, when we'll be willing to become little here on this kingdom, we become great over here in this kingdom. Please get this. This kingdom is limited with power. This kingdom is limited with resource. This kingdom is limitless. This kingdom is limitless with anointing and limitless with power. When I make myself little in this kingdom, I become great in this kingdom. And when, we, when I become great in this kingdom, I have the power and gain the power to affect this kingdom. And the reason that so many of us are not affecting this kingdom is because we've not become little. 
God is waiting for us to become great so that He can use us to impact this kingdom, church. He's waiting for us to humble ourselves in His sight so He can empower us and, and, and strengthen us and, and anoint us so that we can impact this kingdom, church. When the second mile is where we become little and great at the same exact time. Here's where I close and wind it out. How many of you know Jesus was all about the extra mile? If anyone ever poured themselves out, it was Jesus. Amen. If anyone ever considered others more important than themselves, it was Jesus. If anyone ever went the extra mile, it was Jesus. And here's the last interesting fact I want you to know. If you study Scripture and history and biblical geography, you'll discover that from the Garden of Gethsemane, and you all know what happened there, from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus emptied Himself of His will, that's where he poured himself out. You know the story. He, he bowed before the Father in a moment of anguish. He was praying and praying and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down upon the ground, the Bible says. And it was in that agony where he poured himself out and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. From the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where he said, not my will, but thy will be done. From the place where he made himself little, then on to Pilate's Hall, where the innocent Lamb of God was proclaimed guilty. And then from there, and sentenced to death. And then from there, finally all the way to Golgotha's Hill, where he paid the price for our sins. It measures out to be one mile. And what I want you to understand is that that's the extra mile I'm talking about. That's the extra mile Jesus was prophetically referring to, because that was the mile he didn't have to travel Jesus did not have to pour out his will in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have gotten up and he could have walked away. He did not have to carry the cross. He didn't have to carry our burden. He didn't have to stand and be proclaimed guilty. He, he went quietly and silently, the Bible says, to his slaughter. He didn't have to be quiet and he didn't have to be silent. He could have pro proclaimed and pronounced his innocence. He could have called to the hallways of heaven where every single one of the angels were standing in rank, waiting to hear the voice of their commander in chief. And he could have called 10,000 angels to set him free. But he walked that extra mile all the way to Golgotha's Hill. So why? So that you and I could be set free. So that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. It was the mile that he didn't have to travel, but it was the mile, church, where he considered you and me more important than himself. And then what we have to understand is that Jesus said, if anyone shall come after me, guess what? We got to do the same. If anyone should come after me, if anyone should bear the name Christian, which means Christ-like. If anyone should come after me, they must, what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and walk that extra mile. If we want to be great in the kingdom, then we have to learn to serve one another in love. We have to become servant of all. We've got to be willing to pour ourselves out. We've got to be willing to empty ourselves. We've got to be willing to be made small so that God can make us great. Amen.